Well, so throughout this series, we've been looking at how God has used common, ordinary people to accomplish his purposes. It's kind of been fun to relive our old Sunday school lessons by reading the stories of some of these ancient uh, biblical heroes. Uh, for the kids growing up, you know, in church, Samson was like a Marvel superhero. You know, he had superhuman strength and he was able to slay a lion with his bare hands. He was able to lift a city gate off uh, and just put it on his shoulders and carry it up a hill. He, uh, um, he took on dozens of Philistines and, and beat them up and killed a bunch of them. And he was just this super strong man. But there's more to the story as we study Samson's life. And Samson was filled with pride and disobedience. And he had uh, many sinful relationships with women. Samson's problem was he struggled to play by the rules. He, he didn't follow the word of God as God had told him to do. He, he liked to push the limits. He was someone who liked to dance right on the line between right and wrong to see how close he could get, but maybe not step over yet. More often than not, he did step over the line. In our story today, we're going to witness the tragic consequences of not obeying the Lord. Uh, in the end, Samson just did not have the character to handle the incredible gift that God had given him. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 16. If you have your Bibles this morning, we'll begin reading in verse 1. One day, Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, at dawn, we'll kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the city gate, together with the two posts, tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've come this morning to hear from you. God, I pray that as we read and study your word today, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that there may be something from the life of Samson that we can learn and apply in our own lives. God, that we won't make the same mistakes that Samson made. So God, just show us and teach us. Lord, may I fade into the background, and God, may you just speak through me today the message you'd have, and God, may each person here today, God, really be listening for that word that you have for them. And uh, so God, speak to hearts as we just, we just spend time in your word today. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you know any story that opens with, he saw a prostitute and went to spend the night with her, <laughs> that's not going to end well, Right? Did Samson know any better? Surely as a judge in Israel, Samson was aware of God's law. The law of Moses in Leviticus 19.29 forbade prostitution. Those who were found guilty of prostitution uh, were to be stoned, according to Deuteronomy 22.21. A priest's daughter who became a prostitute was to be burned to death, according to Leviticus 21. Nine. No money earned by prostitutes was to be accepted as a gift in the temple, according to Deuteronomy 23.18. So it was crystal clear that prostitution was off limits. Yet Samson disregarded the commands of God. 
And it seems as if he had little regard for the ways of God. Samson knew that spending a night with a prostitute was wrong, but he did it anyhow. For whatever reason, Samson either didn't think the laws applied to him or he assumed that he could do it and get away with it. So time and time again, Samson pushed the limits. He walked as close as he could to the line, often stepping over it without hesitation. Like so many of us, because he crossed the line and didn't suffer immediate consequences, maybe he began to think, well, it's no big deal, or God doesn't really care about this. But what he failed to realize is that every time he did this, he was desensitizing himself for the next encounter. And his pattern of disobedience would eventually catch up with him. And we're going to see that in just a few moments. On this particular trip to Gaza, he spends half a night with a prostitute, and then he slips out in the middle of the night, rips down the city gates, and carries them up the hill facing Hebron. And it's the end of the story, really, of, of that one-night stand there. That's, that's kind of where the story ends. But what I want you to see here is that that's just part of the pattern of disobedience in Samson's life pushing him closer and closer to the edge. Samson may not have realized it, but destruction was in his future. So let's continue to read. Now we're in verse 4. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. So now here again we find Samson falling in love, this time with Delilah. What a pretty name, Delilah. In Hebrew it means delicate or dainty one. We don't know much about Delilah. We don't know if Delilah was a prostitute. We don't know if she was a live-in lover. We don't know if she was a potential future wife. We don't know if Delilah was a Philistine. Uh, we know that she certainly listened to the Philistines when they told her what to do, and she did it. But it's very possible that, that she wasn't a Philistine, that she may have been an Israelite, but she was more interested in money than being obedient to God. So, you know, we're not sure uh, just who Delilah was. We do know that Samson loved her, but she didn't love him. She was in it for the money. Verse 5, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. So we learn in other places that it was five Philistine leaders that came to her, and each of these five pledged 1,100 shekels of silver. And if you do the math, which I did this week, and, and see how many dollars worth of silver that would be, that was over a million dollars in silver that they offered Delilah if she would untangle the secret of Samson's strength. But she only gets the money if they're able to actually subdue Samson. Verse 6, so Delilah said to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Now perhaps this first time that Delilah asks him, maybe she does it in a flattering way, you know, saying how big and strong and handsome he is. And I can understand this. It happens to me all the time. Every time I go to Publix, I feel like the cashiers are checking me out. 
But Samson didn't bite. Verse 7, Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. So here we see Samson toying with Delilah. She's trying to discover his secret. But instead of shutting down this line of questioning, he foolishly plays along. Again, he thinks he's strong enough to resist the powerful charms of a deceptive woman. Verse 8, then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. She tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Now this should have been Samson's first clue, right? <laughs> that she really didn't love him. You would think the fact that there were a bunch of men hiding in the room would have been enough for him to go, wait a minute here. I mean, you don't need to call Sherlock Holmes to put two and two together and see what's happening. But Samson was cocky, and he thought he could handle whatever temptation was thrown his way. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, you made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me how you can be tied. He said, if anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes, tied them with them. Then with men hidden in the room, she called him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Now at this point, you've got to be, you, you just want to slap Samson here, don't you? And you just going to slap him right upside the head and say, what are you thinking? Come on, can't you see what's happening here? Wake up. Have you ever had to stand on the sidelines and watch someone self-destruct? You just see them and you know if you stay on this path, it will lead to destruction. So obvious to everyone else, but to the victim, they seem oblivious. Well, that's kind of what happened here in Samson's life. Delilah started with flattery batting her eyes and squeezing his bicep, and please tell me why you're so strong and no one can ever capture you. When that failed, then she, then she began to work on his character and then his feelings. You're lying to me. You don't really love me. Now let's pick it up in verse 13. Delilah then said to Samson, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, and then he replied, if you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with a pin. Again she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep, pulled the pin in the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. She didn't get the answer she wanted, but she was getting close. You notice this time he referenced his hair, right? You can just see that she's wearing him down. Well, then she turns on the waterworks using the same technique that Samson's dearly departed wife, you remember the first one from Horek, uh, who spent seven days uh, at their wedding crying, 
uh, we see here in verse 16, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Let me read that again. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. There are some passages in the Bible that a wise man knows need no further comment. (laughs) That's one of them. Verse 17, so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. And here we see Samson make his fatal mistake. Samson's continual, willful disobedience had finally reached an end. He had grown so confident in his own strength to the point where he thought he could spurn any law and that he could do whatever he wanted to and he didn't need to worry about God. And it wasn't just one thing that caused him to fall. Throughout Samson's life, he continually disregarded the things of God He disregarded the commands of God. He didn't take the vows, the Nazarite vows, seriously. And he seemed to be more interested in his own lust than in the things of God. And when you add all of these things together, it creates an atmosphere where Samson failed because he progressively moved in the wrong direction. Decisions have consequences. And you compile enough bad decisions and there's going to be terrible consequences. So with his secret out in the open, Delilah wasted no time. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines. Come back. Once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. And mighty Samson had fallen. A man with so much potential is now grinding grain in a prison. And one of the saddest verses in all the Bible is in this tragic story. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Samson just assumed that God's blessing would always be upon him. He'd grown so accustomed to God's power being available to him that it never dawned on him that he could lose it or that it could be taken away. And I wonder, what blessings do we take for granted in our own lives? What things does God do for us that we just assume he'll always do for us in spite of our sins? Sometimes I wonder if the people in our country take for granted God's favor and blessing. Through this series, we've seen the children of Israel go through numerous cycles of being favored by God and then times when he removed his protection and let them be overtaken by their enemies. Really, the entire book of Judges is this cycle of Israel serving the Lord then falling away from the Lord and then them being judged. 
they were in and out of relationship with God. And it wasn't God's fault. It was because they refused to recognize God as their Lord. They chose to worship false gods. And because they did, they found themselves in bondage. And this cycle is repeated over and over throughout the Old Testament. The question would be, who would be their God? It wasn't always just over moral issues. It was centered around, who are you going to serve? The, the gods of the Philistines, the Baals and these, or Jehovah God? Bringing it to our day today, it seems as if our country is a little bit like Israel and that we have pushed the limits of God's mercy and grace. We are pushing the line. We are dancing as close to the line as we can as a country. It's almost as if we're daring God to stop blessing us. And for all we know, maybe he already has. Maybe it's like Samson, we're unaware that the Lord has already removed his hand of blessing and protection from our country. In all my years, I've never seen the world or this country in the shape that it's in today. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that the Lord does not leave us or our salvation, but in terms of his power and his presence and his working in our lives, we can become distant from God. Through Samson's story, we can learn that the true source of our strength and our abilities comes from God, not ourselves. Following the downfall, the loss of his freedom, the loss of his eyesight, Samson hit rock bottom. And it was there at rock bottom in his blindness that he could finally see things clearly. It was then that he discovered that even after this massive failure, that God can still use our weaknesses for his glory. Verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus, he killed many more when he died than when he lived. 
Samson's life reveals how God uses human imperfections to fulfill his purposes. You know, if we put our hope in ourselves and others, we become like Samson, weak and enslaved. Samson is a reminder that our true strength and hope is found in the Lord. Though Samson spent his life pursuing other gods, in the end, he acknowledged who the source of his strength was. He prayed, God, please strengthen me. And he became strong again. Samson's story is filled with lessons about the destructive nature of sin, about the consequences of sinful behavior. It shows us the grace of God and that even after we failed big time that God can still use us. Through this series, I've attempted to humanize the famous Bible characters of old to remind you that how they are not that much different than you and me. They faced challenges. They struggled with fear. They didn't always make the right decisions. And yet God in his mercy, his love, and his grace, he used them to fulfill his purpose in their generation. And really that's what I want for you and for me. Probably there's a little bit of Samson in all of us. Next week we're going to look as we begin to wrap up this series, Unlikely Heroes. We're going to study our last hero. Interestingly, there are some unique similarities between Jesus and Samson. Now certainly Jesus had none of the sinful tendencies of Samson, but consider this. More than a thousand years after the angelic visit to Samson's mother, another angel gave a young virgin a similar prediction. The angel said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. While the first angel told Samson's parents that he would begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines, the other angel told Jesus' parents that he will save his people from their sins. While Samson's mother miraculously conceived through her husband, Jesus' mother conceived as a virgin. While both angels announced the birth, only Jesus had a multitude of angels singing for joy. And finally, like Samson, Jesus was publicly displayed for his enemies to mock. Yet unlike Samson, he walked into his death with complete willingness and unblemished innocence. And he didn't stay in the grave. Next week, we're going to spend, we're going to start a three-week conclusion to the series as we study the ultimate hero, the life of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we recognize this morning that all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us are drawn to sin. All of us at times fail, succumb to temptation, choose wrong over right, make the bad decision, the bad choice. God, we're so 
very grateful that when we do that, you still love us, that nothing can separate us from your love. God, I pray for each person in this room. God, there may be some today that can relate to Samson. Maybe they're, maybe they're walking that fine line between right and wrong, between sin and righteousness. Lord, there may be some here today that they're in the middle of some things that they know that they shouldn't do and because they've been getting away with it, they continue. But God, I pray that today would, God, that your Holy Spirit would just touch their heart and say enough is enough. It's time to repent. It's time to give up that sin. It's time to come back. It's time to do what's right. Lord, there may be some here this morning that you would like to use, but they're so embarrassed by their past that they feel that they can't be used by you, that they've blown it. And the mistake that they made was too big. But God, we see in the life of Samson that his hair began to grow. That God, you are a God of restoration. That you are a God of forgiveness. You are a God of love. And though we, we do need to leave our sinfulness and be obedient to you, that, that God, you are a God that forgives and restores and that you'll use us again. So God, for that one that you may want to use here today, but they've been giving the excuse that they can't be used because of something they've done, God, I pray that today you'd help them to see that you are a God who will use them again. Father, I pray for our country. Lord, it seems as if given the choice between right and wrong, we consistently choose wrong. God, I'm sure as you look down and see the behaviors of the people in our country and our land, it must break your heart. After all the good that you have done, the blessings you've given us, the freedoms that we've so long enjoyed, God, it seems as if they're beginning to erode away and it seems as if darkness is beginning to prevail. God, I pray for a movement of God in this country. I pray that we would see a spark of revival. God, I pray that Christians would truly be the light in the midst of darkness, that we would take a stand against evil. And God, that we would begin once again to recognize that you, you are God. So God, bring us, bring our country back to you. Protect it, I pray. Pray that you would rise up some leaders with the courage to stand for truth. And God, help us to do it. Help us to be a part of it. God, use us, I pray, in this time, in this geography, in this day, for your glory. May we stand. May we stand for you. So, Father, we, we thank you. We look forward to next week just celebrating the life of Jesus. Lord, as we come into this Easter season, God, we're just so, so thankful that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross to pay for our sins and then rose again, proving that he was God. And, God, we believe he's coming back again.
God, may we be faithful until that day. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand as we sing our final song this morning.